Since living in my villa for nine years, I have yet to have a conversation with one of my neighbors. Along <laughs> with two other couples, we share a driveway to our garages and have a collective mailbox. When she leaves her villa by car, her eyes are always focused straight ahead, as if she has no peripheral vision. When she returns home, her garage door immediately comes down. Her window blinds are never open. Without fail, when I'm outside and she is coming or going in her car, I smile and wave because I do see her and she is there. It's as if her silent mantra is, you don't see me, I'm not here. Still, as she comes and goes, it is eyes front for her. Admittedly, I've wondered why she excludes any verbal or nonverbal connection with us who live so close to her. Witness protection? Hiding from abusive relationship? Autistic? I believe her silence is necessary for her at this time, perhaps forever. And we as her neighbors are providing the solitary protection she is living. My mom's next door neighbor is a master gardener and loves to garden, but she's no longer able to easily get down on the ground to plant flowers or to take care of them. She literally has to drop onto the ground and roll around in her yard to move from bed to bed. This last year, she went to the garden center and purchased quite a few beds of flowers to add to her flower bed. The flowers were just sitting in her garage waiting to be put into the ground. Since I love to garden, I offered several times to help her plant the flowers, knowing it would be really hard for her to do it alone, not to mention very safe. She refused and said she would get it done or try to get one of her daughters to help her. Unfortunately, numerous plants died because they just sat in her garage and were not able to be planted soon enough. Possibly she thought it was an imposition to accept my help in planting her flowers. Kindness is not always received as one intends it to be. 17 years ago, I was working as the floral manager at a branch of a large corporation. I had hired a young lady as my delivery driver for the weekends, and during her time with us, she became pregnant. One Saturday in early January, we got an unpredicted ice storm, which caused the morning roads and sidewalks to be extremely treacherous. Since I had three floral deliveries that morning, I was most concerned with the health of my employee, who was now just short of eight months into her pregnancy. I asked my store manager if she could be put up front as a checker and someone else take her place as my delivery driver for the day. He readily agreed. So she was placed on a stool checking on the front end for her workday. 
I did not know that my concern for her well-being and that of her baby had made her quite unhappy. One week later, I received a call from corporate that the company and I were being sued for discrimination in the workplace. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Today, we realize the hard truth that at some point in our lives, we have or will have our kindness rejected. In today's scripture, we find that even a king is not immune from this type of rejection. Let us listen to God's word for us today. Sometime afterward, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Haman succeeded him. David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent envoys to console him concerning his father. When David's envoys came into the land of the Ammonites, the princes of the Ammonites said to their lord Hanan, do you really think that David is honoring your father just because he has sent messengers with condolences to you? Has not David sent his envoys to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's envoys, shaved off half the beard of each, cut off their garments in the middle at their waist, and sent them away. When David was told, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. The king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our example of kindness rejected from today's narrative begins shortly after the death of Nahash, the king of Ammon. In verse 2, David says that he will deal loyally with the deceased king's son, who has now ascended the throne, because King Nahash had dealt loyally with him. This language reflects the relationship of allies. Since Saul's defeat of Nahash, at Jabesh Gilead, it is inferred that the Ammonites became subservient to Israel, which would have carried over to David's reign. Under those circumstances, Nahash remained loyal to King David. Most likely, David's actions in today's scripture was in accordance with international conventions. When an ally dies, it is customary and necessary to reaffirm the alliance with the ally's heir. This could be likened to the action of a government sending a representative to the funeral of an allied nation's leader in order to extend condolences, meet the new leader, and affirm solidarity. 
David extends a gesture of loyalty and kindness to the Ammonites by sending his representatives an envoy of men to greet the new king. With David's act of goodwill, his gesture, however, was refused and his kindness was rejected. And like his father, Hanan sees no need to remain loyal, and because of the hard lines of his advisors, he believes that David's envoy is nothing more than spies that are collecting information for an eventual overthrow of Ammon. They discount, discount any honorable intention of condolences and rejected David's kindness by insulting and humiliating his servants in the worst possible way. By cutting off half of each man's beard and garments, Hanan's cruel rejection of kindness left David's representatives without dignity and full of shame. Kindness rejected is a hard pill to swallow, but it happens. It happens to you, it happens to me, it even happens to kings. It happens because of suspicion, guilt, and pride, just to name a few possibilities. Sometimes, as we heard earlier, our kindness is not only rejected, but attacked. When we experience rejection from our kindness, we may feel hurt, anger, and even confused. Knowing all this, God still calls us to love kindness. Our call to live a life of kindness is not living to receive something in return, or even to be accepted for that matter. It is a life of obedience. Kindness, in the truest sense, depends on whether we extend it unconditionally, not expecting anything in return. If our kindnesses are extended with expectations of repayment, then they will diminish when they are rejected. A good reminder for all of us is that kindness rejected is still kindness. It has far more to do with how we give than how the recipient responds. Additionally, the command to love kindness doesn't come with a promise of acceptance. Living a life of kindness is living a life of vulnerability. Barry Corey, the author of Love Kindness says, Venturing into the way of kindness is hard. It's countercultural. It's an adventure. It's risky. It's unsafe. Though the life of kindness is good, it's not always protected. Kindness is sometimes unwelcomed and awkward. It's admitting our own messiness and imperfections on the journey in order to invite others in. He goes on to say, sometimes the invitation is ignored. Sometimes it's declined. In its authenticity, he says, kindness chances rejection. 
friends, I will confess, this is a very tough one for me. Remember when I said rejection is a hard pill to swallow? Well, I've always had trouble swallowing pills, and rejection is like that whopper of a vitamin that the doctor made me take when I was expecting kids. The way of kindness is risky, but if we fear rejection because of pride, our kindness will be reticent. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples, he cautioned them that there would be cities where they would be rejected. Luke records Jesus saying to them, Go on your way. I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Jesus knew that we would be rejected. It calls us to be receivable so that our witness of God's loving kindness will have the best possible outcome. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently. Friends, our kindness is a fragrance of Christ. To some, the fragrance will be oh so sweet. To others, well, let's just say they will plug their noses. When I went to this verse in my Bible, I immediately thought of our dear departed sister, Sharon Bruning. For those of you that didn't have the joy of knowing her, Sharon loved her obsession perfume by Calvin Klein, right? She literally bathed in it. You could smell that sweet thing coming up the walk before she even opened the doors to the church. Friends, this is what we need to do. We need to bathe ourselves in the fragrance of Christ, in his loving kindness. The English Puritan George Swinnock wrote, An empty perfume bottle still smells when the perfume is gone. Even if our fragrance of kindness is revolting and offensive to some, maybe someday, long after we are out of the picture, they will discover it was Jesus they were smelling all along and experience new and abundant life through our fragrance of his loving kindness. Amen.